0: You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Keep your Bibles open to to Ephesians chapter 6. And if you didn't bring a copy of God's Word, you'll find that black book in front of you. You can turn to page 1163. You'll hear what Robert and Donna read just a moment ago. Sergeant Steve McQueen of Charlie Company... Sergeant Steve McQueen of Charlie Company, 1st Infantry in the 28th Battalion, or I should say Infantry Regiment, was recently shot in the head at 20 feet. The distance of 20 feet in Afghanistan, Sergeant McQueen was shot by a machine gun. It was what they call in Afghanistan an insider attack where the Taliban poses as a friendly 20 feet. That's my distance to some of you today. And he was shot, shot in the head. Steve McQueen, or it's not Steve McQueen, but Stephen McQueen is alive today. You know why? It's because of his helmet. His helmet protected him. It's because he had his helmet on that it protected his, his life. In fact, let me have McQueen himself tell it, quote, before this incident, I thought the helmet was cumbersome. He said, I thought it was overkill. I was sorely mistaken, the helmet works and I am a living testimony to it. I've never had the privilege of being a soldier, but I believe McQueen's testimony tells us that we cannot overstress the importance of military equipment. Today we continue sort of coming to the conclusion this month of November on our spiritual warfare series. There's a warfare happening, it's an invisible warfare we can't see it with eyes we can't see it but it's happening the bible tells us and paul who writes this before us teaches us the invisible battle of spiritual warfare and we're in the classic passage in ephesians chapter 6 in fact it was john milton in paradise lost who said quote millions of spiritual creatures walk the earth millions of spiritual creatures walk the earth unseen both when we wake and when we sleep. It was Florence Nightingale, the famous nurse, who said, and I quote, life is no holiday game, but it is a hard fight, a struggle, a wrestling with the principle of evil, hand to hand, foot to foot, every inch of the way is disputed. Now, Paul uses military terminology. In fact, he mixes his metaphor as beginning in verse 10, first of all, he says we wrestle, and then he switches over to military. But by getting to the military, I want to remind you that the man who wrote this, for those of you who are worshiping home, the man who wrote this, Paul, is in prison. So he would have seen a Roman soldier who would have been doubling as a custodian in the jail or the prison. And before him, he sees the man in his equipment. He sees his tunic. He sees the breastplate. He sees the sword. He sees all the standard equipment of a Roman soldier. And he quickly uses that metaphor. Now today, we don't typically see soldiers. Soldiers are beyond our purview, they're beyond our eyes. And yet we're used to perhaps SWAT teams at certain places, or we're more, perhaps we're used to football players, football player with his mouthpiece and the shoulder pads and all the various equipment that goes on for high school playing on Friday night and college playing yesterday. And so here we are in the fifth message of the series, and we're beginning to look at the equipment. Now, we won't get into all the equipment. We don't have time, and we'll look at some more of the equipment a year from today, a year from about this time. As we look at this equipment, the Bible says, beginning right about verse 14, that God gives us this equipment. He gives us the belt of truth. And as we're going to see in a moment, he gives us the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the equipment is given to us by God. We don't supply it. He supplies it, Right? If I sign up for the military, surely I don't have to bring my own equipment. Hopefully they'll supply it. God supplies it to his soldiers. But it's a skill that we have to develop. Not every Christian is as accustomed to using the equipment, the pieces here. And it takes a little bit of skill. It takes a little bit of proficiency in how to use it. Today, I want to speak to you about the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. Easy for me to say, right? A week or two ago, we looked at the belt of truth. And just like our friend, Sergeant McQueen, who learned the helmet was very valuable, I want us to learn the equipment that God gives us, specifically the breastplate of righteousness is so powerful. Now, here's what happens. Watch carefully. Preview it now. Everybody's driven for righteousness. There's a secular attempt to get righteousness. There's a religious attempt to get righteousness there's a gift of righteousness. Let me show you in the passage beginning in verse 14 where the word of God says, stand therefore having put on the breastplate of righteousness. First, I am driven for righteousness. Would you say that with me together? I am driven for righteousness. Now I'm not pretending that anybody got up this morning here in the middle to the end of November and saying, I wish he would talk about righteousness today or a breastplate. Nobody talks like that, nobody thinks like that. But we're driven for it. To help you understand why we're driven for it, you need to understand what righteousness is. Righteousness is essentially being made right or being right with someone. Generally, someone of significance. To think that I'm righteous or to be righteous means that I've passed inspection in the eyes of someone significant. I might be a soldier going through basic and the drill sergeant says I pass muster. Or even more common than that, for those of us who've taken any classes or maybe you've just gathered this past week or in the weeks to come you'll take finals, is to pass inspection, test is given. And the truth is we beam with that. There's the nerds in the room that do really well on their grades, right? And we, we think about this, even a job application. We slide that piece of paper across the table, and we hope that the person who's doing the hiring, we pass their inspection, that they see us, and they approve of us. An internship, whether it's in college or some other in kind of internship, even the trades of the school, electrician, plumber, they've got to pass. They're looking for righteousness. They're driven for it. The significant other people would say that they are approved. We, this does, goes on all the time. It just goes on almost below our sight. When a child or a young person takes an SAT, and that SAT combined with their factors, a prestigious school says you're in. They'll fill up Instagram with the joy of being in. Or beyond that, if they receive a scholarship, Then the scholarship itself, parents will beam. they'll radiate my child. Got this scholarship, full ride. They'll talk about that. And if you were to have that, your parents would brag about you for decades. Not only are they proud of you, but they're proud that you're not costing them money. Proud of that. We are all driven for righteousness. We're driven so that we pass the muster, we pass the inspection of a significant other person. This goes on all the time. You ever ask anybody out on a date? I have, right? It's a nervous thing. 15, 16, 17 years of age, the first time I was doing that. Anybody else hang up the phone before she answered? Am I the only person that did that? You know, back before caller ID when you could do that kind of thing? It was a house phone. I don't know, maybe my dad called you. You know, I don't know why it called after the call back, right? You're scared to death. And what happens when they, when they say yes to the date? You do everything possible to make yourself look presentable. Teenage boys with pimples will go find foundation in their mother's cosmetic cabinet and apply it to get rid of the pimple. You don't go on that first date with a pair of cut-off jeans and the pockets sticking out and those little fray things running around and some muscle shirt that you worked and did, did hay in all day long. No, you, you, you brush your hair. You put on some cologne or some perfume, you look presentable. You, you do a little scouting on her, you do a little scouting on him, you find out what kind of food, are they gonna to wanna to dance tonight in the date or they wanna to go to a movie? What is it we're gonna do? What are you trying to do? You, you're driven for righteousness. You want, you want her approval. Truth about me, I, I didn't have the guts to ask my now wife out. I had to have somebody in between say, she would say yes to you if you would ask her. And even then, I was nervous. And that whole thing, you're just, you're, you're really, really scared. This goes on all the time. We're driven for this. Now, we don't think of it as righteousness, but we're passing, we're passing the inspection of another. You know, you can tell a lot about yourself by your nightmares. And I, I had some common ones of the years. The, the, one, the one I had during my school years was, you know, like high school showed up. I'm in my doctorate, I'm in my master's. High school shows up and says, you're missing a credit. what do I do? Do I, you know, do I just keep going? Do I have to go back to high school? That was always the one. And now, the one I have every so often is, church is happening, the services are happening, the people are singing, and I'm still in my study, trying to put together my notes. It scares the heck out of me. It's just bolt out of bed, you know, just sweating. Oh my gosh, why is that? Because even, even in my dormant sleep, I'm concerned about pleasing people, pleasing people that you might approve of me and, and you've inspected me. We're, we're driven for this kind of thing. It happens in our dating world, it happens in our work world, it happens in every place that's important. We're driven for righteousness. Now, let's go back to the text. The text says it's a breastplate. Did you notice that in verse 14? Now, we're not. We don't understand that because we don't dress like a Roman soldier, but the breastplate would have happened right in this area. It would have been a solid piece of armor, might have had an articulating place perhaps around the waist or among the arms. But the breastplate is crucial. If I'm in battle and an arm or a hand gets cut off or a leg, that's pretty serious. But I can survive that. But a breastplate is protecting the vital organs. What's below this place right here? It's my heart. It's my lungs. If I'm not breathing, if I don't have blood pumping. So the breastplate is crucial. It's a crucial piece. It covers the vital organs in my body. Now Let's return. Now, having had this breastplate, what, what am I driven for? I'm driven for the approval of others. I'm driven for righteousness because I live off other people's approval. If you're in the arts, if you're in music, if you're in acting, it's only what the critics say, it's what the people say, it's the applause. And when we fail to please people, the significant people in our lives, then our very hearts are left open. We're vulnerable. It's this piece right here. When you don't approve of me and when I don't approve of you, our hearts are left open. Still not convinced you're driven for it? How about those of us who are a little bit older, Somebody says to you, have you lost weight? You say, oh, you sweetheart, I'm gonna kiss you on both cheeks. No, I haven't lost weight, but you need to go see the doctor. Thank you for halfway noticing. We're all driven for this. We're driven for this. And this is bound up in the Bible's concept of what's called righteousness. We're driven because we want people to examine us, and we want to only meet the standard, but exceed the standard. When we fail to please the significant people in our lives, then our very hearts are exposed. And righteousness is a protection of the heart. It's a protection of that which is vital to us. We're driven for it. Secondly, I have a distorted view of righteousness. Everybody has this. I have a distorted view of righteousness. Remember, this isn't a psychotherapy sermon. This is a spiritual warfare sermon. And the complexity of evil... Americans don't fully appreciate the complexity of evil because we think everything has a scientific answer. We think science and technology is going to solve everything. And it's done remarkable over the last century or so. But the complexity of evil, and listen to the man who's counseling us. Listen to the author of our text in Ephesians. He's the one who, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, has written to us in this letter that went to the first to the believers in Ephesus, now comes down to us 2,000 years later. Listen to him, he knows the evilness of evil. I remind you again, he's in prison. This is where this letter originates. We think of the Birmingham letter to the Birmingham jail from a Birmingham jail with Martin Luther. The book of Ephesians originates from one who's in prison, he's been He's been, if you remember this, he's been flogged, he's been in prison, he's been stoned. Why is that? Did he knock over a 7-Eleven? Did he knock over a bank someplace? No, he just, he just stood up and began to declare that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. And people said, we can't have that. We gotta stop that. The complexity of evil, the evilness of evil The complexity of it, it's overwhelming. In front of us, here's a man who knows the complexity of it. He's one who knows about cruelty, violence, and war. He's one who knows about greed and racism and poverty. You see, evil is so evil that unless you have a spiritual network, a spiritual hierarchy working and organized to make evil happen, then you're failing to appreciate it. Again, we think of just scientific causes, and science is fantastic. God loves science. But the Bible's calling on us to say, look at the multi-layeredness to life. This is why you need the breastplate of righteousness. Now, why do I need that? Again, everyone's driven for it. Let me show you a couple of secular attempts for righteousness, and then show you a religious attempt. Secular, then religious, all of these which fail. Secular. Some of you find that drive for righteousness, you find it fulfilled in romance or sex. If I can get the right person of the opposite sex to approve of me, then I'm okay. One lady said to her pastor some years ago, she said, looking back at her series of relationships, she said, quote, men are like alcohol. They were like alcohol. If I only, had, only if I had this one man on my arm I could face life and feel good about it and there are those who are just codependent on others it's it's the approval of a significant other it's this idea that romance and sex will make it happen some of you it's not so much romance and sex as it is family if I have my dad if I had my mother's approval if I had my children's approval if I had this significant approval of someone inside the family And yet, in some cultures, there's even honor killings. If she doesn't live up to the standard, the woman, in certain restrictive places, it's okay to take her out. A father will take her out. A grandfather or a brother or an uncle will take her out. It's this idea of approval by one's family. If family and romance are not the way you seek righteousness, and most of the men in the room, you seek it through dollars and you seek it through a career. We've traded, most of us men, it's not so much what family thinks or what romance thinks at some point. it's We say essentially, I don't care what anyone else thinks about me. My career my career is the thing that I'm worried about in life. Only we wake up a decade or so, two decades, maybe three decades into the career, and we find that a career doesn't really keep you warm at night. It's the Ebenezer Scrooge. It's someone who's succeeded really well but nobody else can stand them we're driven for righteousness we're driven for this approval from others and all all these attempts fail to meet the mark do you find yourself in one of those do you see some of your life do you see a decade of your life do you see most of your life for that whether it's academic pursuit, it's, it's this idea, I'm worth something and I will prove my worth. I'll prove my righteousness. Even though we don't use that word, I'll prove my righteousness by succeeding financially, by succeeding in my career. I'll, I'll be proven because I'm going to succeed in romance and in family and some other way. Now, Satan is really tricky. He's deceptive. He loves to work in deception. So what he'll do is he'll move, he'll move you from a secular attempt to religious attempt. And this goes on all the time. You can think of this, by the way, use the concept resume and report card. Resume and report card. Okay? Keep those in the back of your mind. The religious attempt, you shift into the church, you shift into a Baptist, Messes, Catholic, any ascent, even you don't have to have a Christian religion. You can do this within Islam and others. And there you find yourself attempting to build a religious righteousness. Think of it as a report card. At the end of your days, when you have inspection, you'll turn over to whomever's inspecting your life and say, look right here, look how good I read my Bible. Look how good I've been sacrificial. Look how how orthodox my beliefs are. Look how I attended church services all the time. I gave away so much. I even volunteered in that bratty middle school age Bible study group and I took care of those kids I've got it together. Look at my report card. Look at my resume. Do I get in? That's damning because there's a lot of you there. You've shifted from the secular attempt to the religious attempt. And your report card sort of looks like, well, I've not cheated on my taxes. I've not cheated on my wife or my husband. I walked an aisle. I was baptized several times. My kids are obedient. My family all pays their taxes. We give generously to the church. Check, 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 check. Some of you in the room, you have enough history with this particular Baptist denomination that you had those old envelopes. Remember those things? It's not a bad thing to do at all. It would be great if that came back. They're great habits. But when you take that envelope and you stick it under the nose of God and say, do I get in? none of these work see what happens is from the secular attempt to the religious attempt what you've done you've shifted from outside the church to inside the church but you're still doing the same thing you're trying to be your own savior and that's what's going to damn you you were never built to be your own savior i know lebron says we're built for this you're not built for this you were never built to be your own savior. Whether you try it religiously or secularly, you're not built for that. So you have a distorted view of it. Here's the third and the last thing, and this is where it gets good. I depend on him for my righteousness. I depend on him for my righteousness. I know that's a weird phrase and nobody talks like that other than if you read the Bible. But what again is righteousness? Righteousness isn't something you buy. It's not something you do. Instead, it's someone you trust. To be righteous is not, it's not something you're going to do. It's not something you're going to buy. It's going to be someone you trust. You know, there's a lot of things I get tired of in life. How about you? I get tired of elections. Lord, have mercy. I just, I just voted. And up north part of the city where I live, in the southern part of Keller, there's a runoff, and there's these signs, and they're all over the place. It seems like no sooner did I get done voting for one set of candidates, there's another election come right after that. I get tired of taxes. I I feel like I just get one set of taxes done and another roll in right after that. I get tired of traffic in Dallas-Fort Worth. Can I get a witness? There are some times of the day I can't get, I just can't get to you from here. And I get tired of emails. I used to think email was cool. Now, most of us who are in our working career know that we can take a vacation except for one thing. Those emails will pile up. On the day that I die, there'll be about five dozen I've got to answer. You know, one thing that I don't get tired of is talking about Jesus and the cross. See, it's not till you come to this place where you discover it's someone you trust. What is righteousness? righteousness again is passing the muster it's pleasing someone that's significant and what is God's righteousness it's simply the standard that God requires it's simply the standard that God's required have you thought about that you think about it in school your parents tell you if you don't pass the standards you're not going to be anything If you're a journeyman, you've got to become a master electrician. You've got to become a master in your trade. If you you stink at relationships, somebody like me is going to come along and say, you've got to pass her inspection. You've got to pass inspection. You've got to try. But have you ever thought that God has a standard? You know what his standard is? This is demoralizing. It's absolute categorical perfection. It's absolute categorical perfection perfection it's not just doing right it's thinking right spoke to a man this week we had the privilege of giving away because of your generosity by the way we hope to give away more than 200 turkey dinners but it was closer to about 120 or 100 because of mitigating factors and um, he pulled up in a car like i've got i'm a suburban driver And we started talking for a few minutes, and I said to him, this concept of righteousness and God's sin, and he looked to me like I just said, hey, do you want to go get a moon rock together up on the moon? Just had a quizzical look. He's one of only two or three people in my memory in my life that fairly well denied that, that he was a sinner, that he had done wrong. Remember carefully now, listen, God's standard of you teenagers, of you singles, of you marrieds, is absolute categorical, absolute perfection. So I said to him, I wasn't getting anywhere. He wasn't tracking with me. I said, sin? No. Man? You know, 30s? I said, "Uh, swimsuit issues? You ever see a swimsuit issue? Yeah, I said, there you go, that's sin. Then I kind of got some head nods. By the way, he considered himself a Christian. I don't know if he was or not, but he was really confused. God's absolute perfection of standard is not only are you doing the right thing, but you're doing it for the right reasons. This is totally demoralizing. See, the truth is God knows all about you. He knows your inner workings. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, he says that your inner workings are naked before him how many syllables does your word naked have in it where i grew up it's got at least three to four you are absolutely naked before him he sees your motivation now tracy pretty well knows me after 20 something years of marriage but she doesn't know me like god knows me are you convinced that you're a sinner take a piece of chicken uncooked and put it on the kitchen counter In four hours, it's unedible. Overnight, you won't have to see it. You'll know of its presence by your olfactory senses. You leave it there for four to six weeks, you'll have to call the health department in. That's your moral life. That's your moral life. Everything in this world is entropy. Everything, it's winding down. Unless you spend serious attention, it's gonna move the wrong direction. Why do you think the framers put together the government with senators and representatives and courts and a president? Because they knew inherently, even in their, the deism, the, the, the heresy deism of those some founding fathers knew that that piece of chicken, everything devolves it's not static. It's moving the wrong direction. That's you and me. You are a sinner. Your inner workings are completely naked before a holy God. Do you know the Bible tells us that the beings right around the very throne room of God have their eyes covered, their feet covered, and themselves? Why do they do that? Because even those who are there 24 7, 365, are conscious of his moral perfection conscious of his moral perfection all the time it's powerful now listen it doesn't have to be fatal that you're a sinner that you're wrong that doesn't have to be fatal but here's what is fatal if you deny it your sin doesn't have to be fatal but if you deny your sin then that is fatal For those of you in the room that are familiar with the N-A-A-A, all the A's and all the things that are going on with addictions, you are in denial. If you're in denial about that, then there's no need for a God to come rescue and save you. The Bible says that, listen carefully, you're, you're dead in your sins. The Bible doesn't say you've got the cold, you have a cold or you've got the flu. It doesn't say you're sick in your sins. It says you're dead in your sins. Something is really wrong with your moral and spiritual life. In your attempts for secular righteousness, putting yourself together, you may look good in front of other people. Your attempts of religious righteousness, you may fool even a pastor, even a trained eye. But none of those work, and you are in danger, my friend, and you need rescued. And the same guy who wrote this classic passage on spiritual warfare writes one of the most beautiful sentences. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him who knew no sin so that he might, we might become the righteousness of God in him. My 16-year-old and I, we talked about that. We tried to memorize that together just this week. Would to God that every person, the sound of my voice, would memorize those words. You know what that's saying? Just leave it there for just a second. If you've embraced Christ by faith, then something miraculous happens. Jesus says to the believer, I'm in possession of your sin. And you say to Jesus, I'm in possession of your report card. I'm in possession of your resume. I'm in possession of all the good, righteous deeds that you've done. A great exchange look at it again second corinthians god made christ who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god this is the gospel god treats you who believe as if you've done everything that jesus did the friend i don't know what you're going to give thanks for i don't know what gets an amen or a hallelujah out of you that should have been the moment you missed your chance let me say it again and give you a second chance this is the gospel god treats you who believe as if you've done everything that jesus has done all the good deeds he did not just the miracles but the moral purity look this breastplate that you need it's not about your career it's not about your romance it's not about your family it's not about The zeros behind your name. It's not even about how many times you've read through the Bible. The breastplate of righteousness is a gift. It's a gift that you receive from him. And what does that do? If you're on the outside looking in, what does that do? It does this. There's nobody's standard that you have to meet. If you're accepted by him, you're accepted and loved and approved by your heavenly father. What does it matter if you don't approve of me? I mean, I love you. I love you, but what does it matter? What does it matter if I don't have a big bunch of zeros behind my name when it comes to the end of my life? What does it matter? If I'm accepted and loved by my Heavenly Father, if I'm treated by my Heavenly Father as if I did the stuff Jesus did and he takes my sin, what, what does it matter what my spouse thinks about me, what my boss thinks about me, what my teachers and professors and my customers think about me. See how that frees you up? And by the way, you you still care about them and you do love them, but it's for a whole different motivation. I don't need their approval. When I've embraced Christ by faith, you're accepted, loved, and approved by none other than God himself. Pastor, that sounds like cheating. It does. It really does. I had two of my best friends in high school they were both valedictorians, 4.0. They didn't sneeze a B, not even a B plus. They just were that good all the time. Sickening, sickening. And I hung out with them because I thought, well, maybe good grades are like, you know, stock car. you draft and maybe they'll pull you up. And it wasn't a, bad, wasn't a bad concept. You know, how many times I wondered in school if I could but cheat, if I could take his test, his test scores, his correct answers and put them on my count then I'd have it that's what the cross is it's like cheat, pastor that's not possible you say pastor that kind of thing is crazy talk you're as crazy as some of my family right now really I learned this week that Buzz Aldrin get this Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong the men who first walked on the moon they had to go through customs when they came back from the moon July 24th, 1969, they brought their moon rocks and their moon dust into the Hawaii International Airport, and they filled out a customs report. (laughs) Something can be crazy and not possible and still true. I'm telling you today that the cross of Jesus Christ, he took all your ugly, sinful deeds, and he gave you his son's perfect report card. The gospel treats you who believe as if you've done everything that Jesus has done. You don't need to build your own righteousness. You don't need to build your own secular goodness, your own resume, your report card. No more payments need to be made. When I get before the celestial exam, that test, I don't pretend to tell you I know everything. But when I get there before him and whoever is at the entrance gate of heaven, whoever's working and acting like the bouncer and says who's in, who's out, I will not take the best 10 minutes of my life. The best, you know, 10 minutes where Tracy approves of me and my parents approve of me and you approve of me and all the good deeds I've done and those few messages and all that kind of stuff that felt good at the moment. I'm not going to take the best 10 minutes of my life because of my inner workings or completely naked before him even when I did it right on the outside he knew what was going on on the inside and on that day as evil as evil is and as evil as I am and as evil as you are I'm completely sure I'm completely sure that I'll be accepted by him because of the cross of Jesus Christ I'm not going to put there that day my resume, my record, my report card. Instead, I'm going to say, this is Jesus' report card. Take this because of my belief in his son. Maybe this sentence will help you. This helped me years ago. Maybe this sentence will help you. Scott Mays has already been judged. All my bad deeds have already been judged on the cross 2,000 years ago. All the rightful anger that God has for who I am and what I've been about happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. Are you there? Do you have that breastplate? Are you still trying to put on some other breastplates today? Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.